And actually, I'm going to be able to share a little bit about um, how the bridge has impacted my life. Uh, I, I came to the bridge uh, at one of the sneak previews. So it was kind of before the bridge actually started on a weekly basis. And I was a college student in my sophomore year. Um, and um, I kind of entered college uh, wanting to push boundaries. That's kind of my personality. And now I wasn't under my parents' roof. I can maybe do what I want, you know. And by my sophomore year, I was heavily into partying and probably drunk about two to three nights a week. And um, that had just really overcome my life. And that was what I looked forward to. That's all I wanted to do. Um, but at the same time, I was professing to be a Christian. And in my mind, I was like, I can't do one and the other. It's got to be one or. Um, and so I, I really sat down um, during my winter break and was like, I, I need to choose one. You know, I, I, I need to take a break from this parting and decide what I want to do with my life, whether I'm going to profess Christ and pursue him or whether I'm going to renounce him and just do my own thing. Um, and so right at about that time, uh, my old youth pastor called me up and said, hey, we need a new leader or one extra leader for uh, the district's youth conference. And I had been to that uh, growing up. It's a phenomenal conference. And uh, so I said yes, even though I felt super inadequate. I mean, I was probably drunk at the time, you know, it's just, but I said, yeah, I'll do it. And, and uh, so I went, and it totally changed my life. It was one of those experiences that, um, you know, some people have, have had, and God really got a hold of me. And so I decided I, I need to change my life. And if I'm going to do that, I need to find a church home to grow in. Uh, and it just so happened to be that the offering that year for the district's youth conference was the Bridge Church. And uh, so I decided that at that point that I was going to start attending. Um, and the first Sunday that I went, the sermon was on uh, forgetting your past sins because Jesus has forgiven them. Uh, it was a sermon out of Philippians, and that was what I was struggling with at that point, was looking back and knowing that I had done all these things. Like, if I can't forgive myself, how could God forgive me and love me? Uh, and so that just spoke to me right away. Um, and since then, um, I wish I could say life has been great. It's been, it has been great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's still things that I struggle with. There's still things, you know, we live in a broken world. Um, but life has been great. I got married. I have uh, a girl, Nora, who's two. I've got a girl, Amelia, who is one. And I've got a girl, question mark, who will be born in June. So um, life, is, life is amazing. Um, but like I said, you know, I still struggle with things. And um, it's amazing knowing, though, that, that God forgives me regardless. Uh, you know, he's already forgiven the things that I've done or that I haven't done. Um, and I can rest in that. I can rest that uh, God loves me no matter what I do. Um, and the bridge has played a pretty major role uh, in that. So um, with that, let me, let me pray for our service. Lord God, you are perfect. You are absolutely holy. And for whatever reason, Lord, you love me. You love us. We are broken and we are sinful. And yet, Lord, you forgive us. You, you want us, Lord. And so right now we just thank you for that. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, right now I pray that our worship would be honoring to you that you would hear it and a smile would put, be put up on your face, Lord, and, and you would look down on us and, and, uh, and love us, Father. So I'm Jen Eiley, and I've been around the bridge since its very beginning. God has done many awesome things in my life during the last eight years, and I've been, as I've been part of the bridge. 
I grew up in Eau Claire going to a church going home, gifted and passionate about babies at a young age. Even my biggest dream as a little girl was to be a mom. Um, My sister Angie and I would play house as kids. Um, It was our favorite game. We'd dress our babies only in real baby clothes. We couldn't use the doll clothes because those weren't good enough. Um, And we would take them everywhere. My gracious mom had three kids, and we carted around babies and all the necessary accessories um, everywhere we went. When I was in sixth grade, I went to a Bible camp where I learned that it wasn't enough to have head knowledge about what Jesus did on the cross, but I needed to have heart knowledge. It was at that Bible camp that I decided to live for Jesus and let him lead and control me. As I grew older, I only had more and more passion for children, so naturally I graduated college with a degree in early childhood. But my real hopes for after college were to get married and have kids of my own. With no husband in sight at graduation, I moved to Kansas to be a nanny for two sets of twins and then work in a child care setting. After four years, I moved back to Wisconsin, and it's, and it's then that my connection to the bridge came in. Um, only God could have orchestrated my hearing about the new church plant um, in Eau Claire the way that I did. During a weekend retreat with some old college friends, two of my friends brought up knowing Jerry and Sue, who were starting a new church in Eau Claire. And during that same trip, another friend from my past called me as she had heard I was back in town, and I had previously gone to an e-free church in Kansas. She told me about this couple who were starting a new church in Eau Claire. So I met with Sue at Applebee's shortly after that on one of their next visits to Eau Claire because at that point they hadn't even moved here. Um, They were just coming up every two to three weeks to do some networking and get people um, committed and excited about the church. And soon after, I committed to help start this new church, which was still without a name, committing also to heading up the children's ministry. We began building this new church in Jerry and Sue's living room in the summer of 2008 with a Bible study. By the fall, we moved to Jerry and Sue's family room, where we would remove all their furniture each Sunday and put up folding chairs from the Christian radio station. When we outgrew the family room, we moved into some office space that my dad let us use on Gulf Road. And then finally in March of 2009, we had our launch service at the Technical College. About three years after I started at the bridge, or after the bridge started, I changed jobs from directing a daycare um, to working at the Ruth House. And it was there that I met and worked with my future mother-in-law. And less than a year after meeting her, I was married to her son, Grant. Less than a year after that, we had our daughter, Brielle. Sorry. (laughs) And now, almost a year later, we added our little boy, Zion, to the family. Motherhood is more exhilarating and life-changing than I ever imagined and more painful and difficult than I could have imagined. Shortly after Brielle, I struggled with some pretty bad postpartum depression on top of the normal stresses and difficulties of being a new mom. It was through those dark and painful weeks that God really gave me a burden and passion to minister and encourage other moms. For the past two and a half years, I have had the privilege of serving alongside some wonderful women as a leader of our moms group here at the bridge. And I can honestly say it has been the most rewarding ministry I've ever been a part of and has brought me so, many, so much joy connecting with other moms through the joys and pains we all face. Looking back over the last eight years, I'm thankful for how God has worked in my life. God used my painful years of being single to bless the children of the bridge, and I can see his wisdom and blessings in the waiting as I was able to have and build some great deep relationships with other women here um, to be discipled, to serve in other areas of ministry. 
that I wouldn't have been able to had I been married or had kids. Um, and I may have not even ever come to the bridge if I had my dreams come true when I wanted. Um, there were times I felt God would never answer my prayer and the prayers of my church family. And I am now so amazed at the blessings that God has poured out on me after all of those prayers. And I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to be on this journey here at the bridge. Good morning. My name is Lori Van Dam, and I have attended the Bridge Church almost from the beginning as well. My husband and I moved to Eau Claire in the spring of 2007, and my journey to the Bridge Church began on a sunny but windy day in May. My neighbors had moved across uh, the street from me. I was curious and wanted to say hi, but was also feeling kind of shy and knew that it would take some time to get up the nerve to introduce myself. God intervened. Every spring, I usually um, would hang some sort of welcome spring sign outside my door to celebrate the occasion. Well, one day I came home from work, and it had blown across the street into their mailbox. So um, I walked over to retrieve it and struck up a conversation with Jerry, who was outside. He introduced himself and said, I see you like to run. My wife, Sue, does too. She's been wanting to find someone to run with for a while now, so he went inside to get her, and he introduced her to me. Over the course of the spring and summer, we would talk on our runs about life and share our experiences of what it was like to have been married young. We both married our high school sweethearts. And that both of them had declared themselves an atheist at one point. We found out we had so much in common. She told me about her and Jerry moving here to Eau Claire to start a church. My interest was piqued, but it took me until late summer to actually attend I had been wanting to attend church again after many years, but felt very uncomfortable. I had been away from God for a very long time and felt lost and really undeserving. I had attended a couple of churches in the um, area here, but I didn't know anyone, and I, I really felt uncomfortable. Again, God intervened. Sue brought Jesus and God back to me on our runs in a very gentle and loving way. We talked about many topics, and her love of the Lord shined through to me and made me want to feel that love as well. I knew at that moment that this was a place for me. The service started in their home. How convenient was that for me right next door? And it was so different from anything that I had envisioned for a church. I had never been or heard of a church plant and was curious about what that was all about. It was perfect for me as I felt comfortable with this small group of people. Over the years, I have grown in my faith as the bridge has grown. And we didn't have a name in the early beginnings. We moved from Sue and Jerry's home to an office building near Red Robin, and we outgrew that. 
We then relocated to the university in Claremont. We rented space in some of the local schools, had services at Owen Park, the conference room at an area hotel, and eventually here to this location. I am sure it was challenging for Pastor Jerry and Sue to find locations to worship, but they were always encouraging to people about the location changes. With every move and every location change, the mission was always the same, to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. I am living that mission statement today. I have become a fully devoted follower of Christ. That devotion to Christ has changed my life. My husband has witnessed what the Holy Spirit can do to fix broken people and broken marriages. He is asking questions about faith, seeking to answer the questions about God, and he has on occasion joined me here. He recently surprised me by offering to attend a marriage growth group. That was huge. That was huge. He is also now asking to pray with me and for him. That was huge, too. For a guy who is an atheist, he is now seeking, life-changing. Today I'm praying for God to transform him his transform his life as he has done for mine. So, happy anniversary Bridge Church. You have lived up to your mission statement. You have developed me into a fully devoted follower of Christ. Thank you, Jerry and Sue, for following God following God's call to move here and to bring God's word to the community as it has truly been life-changing. Thank you. Thank you, Lori, and thank you, Jen, and thank you, Luke. And Bridge Kids, thank you for joining us. You may be dismissed. I do confess that uh, seven years ago when we had this big launch weekend, I wasn't sure I would still be here in seven years, so I am uh, very grateful to be here. I was reminded as we were um, worshiping this morning back in those days, um, one of the big encouragements to me in those early years was uh, Faith Evangelical Free Church in Fall Creek, and uh, Pastor Steve and Karen heard, um, Steve was pastor there, and uh, he, Steve was on our steering team, and, um, you know, we didn't have, we were just basically an idea in those early days, and uh, Steve prayed for us, and Steve, um, Pastor Steve kind of led uh, the church in supporting us, and especially supporting us in prayer and financially, and they were a big encouragement, so uh, thank you, Pastor Steve, we appreciate that. In... We're in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. In his 2013 book entitled, Book of Manly Men, you may not care for the title, 
That was it. The book of manly men. Stephen Mansfield tells the story of Taylor. Taylor was involved in a church that had an incredible men's ministry. In fact, one of the reasons the ministry was so incredible was because of Taylor. Taylor was a man who cared about other men, and he invested hours and hours of his time into discipling and mentoring men. Lives were changed, and God was honored. But something happened in the church, and the church went through great change and transition. A new pastor came. Budgets were cut, and through all of that, Taylor was deeply hurt, offended by some things that happened at the church. And sometimes things like that do happen in church ministry. Taylor left his church, and when people from his church approached him, he refused to talk to them. His friends thought Taylor would eventually come back to the church, but he didn't. And so some of the men in the church took it on themselves to reach out to Taylor, and they came up with a plan. And the plan was this. They decided they would camp out in Taylor's yard until Taylor came out and talked. All 150. And so they set up a rotation around the clock that they would camp in Taylor's yard. And they set up tents, and they got extension cords from the neighbors. They brought in TVs. They set up barbecue grills, and they hung out. And they made signs, and they said, Taylor, we love you. Taylor, come out. Taylor, we know you're in there. Finally, Taylor got so upset that on the third day, he called the police. So the police came to see what the commotion was all about. And after hearing the story, one of the police officers said, I wish the men in my church cared about other men like this. And from, from then on, the police came twice a day and checked on Taylor and knocked on his door. And uh, they would ask, uh, Taylor, are you all right? You don't have a gun in there, do you? Two times a day. And the police wouldn't leave until Taylor came to the door. Every time Taylor came to the door, the men in the yard cheered loudly for Taylor and said they loved him. And apparently the police were in on part of this as well. On the sixth day when the police came to check on Taylor, and by the way, the police came without being called. When they came to check on Taylor, Taylor came to the door in tears. He came outside to great cheers, and he broke down, and he told his friends that he was sorry for his pride. And they all hugged Taylor, and their friendship was restored. Such is the power of love. You know, I wonder, is that the kind of, God, that kind of love that God wants for his church? That kind of commitment? To make that kind of sacrifice to restore a relationship. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven. And he promised that the Father would send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples went back to Jerusalem. And there they gathered in the upper room. And they prayed and they waited for ten days. While they were there, they selected the next apostle, and he would be Matthias to replace Judas. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came just as God promised. And it was a strange event. And the disciples spoke in many languages to those who were present in Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire. And then Peter got up in boldness and he preached really his first sermon. And this wasn't a wishy-washy Peter. This was a Peter filled with the Holy Spirit who spoke strongly and boldly right in Jerusalem where they could have arrested him and hauled him off. And um, Acts chapter 2 verse 41 tells us what happened. Those who accepted his message, this was after Peter's sermon, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Pretty good start for the first church, 3,000. And that brings us uh, to Acts 2.42 through 47. I want to read that for us. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a pretty dynamic church, pretty fantastic start for the first church. So the, this morning I want to talk about five or marks of the healthy church, and I've listed out five. We could make the list longer. I'm going to just go with five. The first mark of a healthy church that we see uh, in this church is that the early church was devoted to God's Word. The early church was devoted to God's word. We see that in verse 42 right off. It says that they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. This wasn't, you know, haphazard or kind of nonchalant. They devoted themselves. They exerted effort to persist in doing something. In fact, they were focused on the word of God. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we have to stop and think about this just a minute in that, you know what? The Bible hadn't been written yet. All of the Old Testament was written. None of the New Testament was written. How do you do church without the New Testament? Well, it helps if you have the apostles. And they did. And the apostles had been with Jesus for three years. And the the apostles had watched Jesus' life. And they knew he was a man of prayer. And they, Jesus taught them about prayer. And they asked Jesus about prayer. And the apostles uh, listened to Jesus and asked him questions and heard his parables and heard his explanations. And they heard the Sermon on the Mount. And the apostles would pass that on to the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. They had the apostles' teaching. Peter got up and explained the death of Christ and the significance of the death of Christ. He's the first to explain it. And now they're explaining the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ to the church. This is the apostles' teaching. An application for us is, since the early church was devoted to God's word, I must be devoted to 
to God's word. I must grow in devotion to God's word. That is, if we are to be a healthy church, and that is, if you're going to be a growing, healthy follower of Christ, continue to grow in your valuing God's word. First um, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Peter says this for us. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander and every kind. Because we're human and sometimes we struggle with stuff like that. He's saying now, identify that, set it aside. For us, it's confession. And then he says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. You ever notice that babies like milk? And um, what happens if you don't feed them? And Peter's saying, like that. Crave pure spiritual milk, and he's talking about God's word. Milk. You start new baby Christians on milk. And as they grow as Christ followers, you give them solid food. And even as the writer of Hebrews says, the meat, solid meat. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It is God's word that nourishes our soul and helps us to grow as followers of Christ so that we become who God wants us to be. And by the way, you never stop growing in your knowledge of Scripture and, and what God will do with Scripture in your life. You'll never stop growing unless you stop your input of Scripture. Colossians 3.16, another passage um, the Apostle Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The old NIV said, let the word of Christ, which I slightly prefer. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The idea is to let God's word live in you richly. Not just, uh, you know, once in a while and, oh, yeah, there's a, I remember a Bible verse, but just to continue in it, continue in it, continue in it. Let it dwell in you richly. And so uh, I would just say, just ask one question, uh, maybe two or three here. What are you doing currently to grow in your knowledge of Scripture? What are you doing uh, to nourish your own soul with God's Word? And uh, do, you, do you have a, any kind of a plan? You know, there's a lot of good reading plans where you can set it a goal. Maybe a goal for you would be to read through the New Testament for the very first time and just start out and read a little bit each day. One of the most important things about reading Scripture is setting up a habit. And we know that it takes about 21 days to establish a habit. So um, is there something that you want to do to improve your knowledge of Scripture uh, it's about feeding your own soul because the Word of God is living and active. It's not just information. It's alive, and it will, it will change your life. Secondly, the early church was devoted to fellowship. We also see that in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And the word for fellowship is koinonia. Some of you have heard that. And it's really about sharing sharing the life, and especially sharing the life of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and it's about sharing Christ's life. The church is the body of Christ. 
and we have the Holy Spirit. That's what unites us and connects us. And when we share in his life, that's real biblical fellowship. It's not just hanging out. It includes hanging out. But it's having something to share around the life of Jesus. Um, It's about sharing the relationship we have with God through the Holy Spirit. We can share experiences together around God's Word. That can happen. We can have a fellowship on Sunday morning here in this room because you all experience God at work through His Word. We can have fellowship in the lobby afterwards in our discussions. We can have fellowship in a small group. Uh, It can be around God's Word. It could be around prayer. It could be around encouraging and sharing with one another. Uh, Sharing life around Christ. Sometimes it's sharing money and material goods. That's a fellowship in the scriptures. Fellowship implies commitment. This is really often understood. It implies commitment. It implies the kind of commitment that uh, Taylor's friends had. That was a deep commitment on their part to love their brother. And sometimes uh, fellowship includes suffering. There's a fellowship in suffering. And some of you know that. Some of you experience that. And, and, and you walk with friends through difficult times. And you go through difficult times and you have friends around you. And that's a kind of fellowship. And that's not coffee and donuts, you know. It's a deep fellowship. So application for us, I must grow in devotion to fellowship in Jesus' church. So if we want the bridge to be healthy, and if you want to be a growing, healthy believer, consider growing in your um, commitment to fellowship with other believers. John 13, 34, and 35. This is a really well-known passage, but sometimes I think misunderstood. A new command I give you, love one another. We get that. That's important. We like that. This kind of love is agape love. It's sacrificial love. That, that's Christian. We like that. We're supposed to love one another. As I have loved you, so that you must love one another. You know what kind of love that is? And you, a lot of you can explain it, agape love. That's a high commitment kind of love. When I married Sue, I made a commitment to her. I didn't know what I was getting into. I do now. Uh, And Jesus said, I am to love her like Jesus loved the church. And I do not walk away from that. I made a vow before God, whether I was a Christian or not. It was a real vow with real responsibility. There's a kind of commitment like that. And I'm not saying you're married to the church. But this agape love is a pretty big deal. And when people make commitments to the church, when they stand up and say that they're committed to be a part of a church... That's a big deal. You don't walk away from it easily. You don't just get offended when you don't like something. We need to walk together through things and help each other. So, um, and notice this, the very last part, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is so powerful, Jesus said. This will send a message to our world. And that, you know, Taylor's friends sent a message to the neighbors and to the police department about their love, and it's really powerful. Um, 
Another passage is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How we're going to stimulate ideas toward love and good deeds. Things are going to be good and helpful, and they're going to honor God and promote God's kingdom. How are we going to do that? Not giving up and meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You know, I know it's hard to stay connected or committed to a group of people, whether it's Sunday morning or whether it's a growth group. But if you place a high value on it, I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm just talking about placing a high value on it. And, you know, when we get together, sometimes some of the greatest ideas come on the day that you feel the worst or you didn't want to go. And, you, and you'll learn something that will help somebody else. Or you'll learn something that's a great encouragement to you. Um, there's this don't forsake assembly. Don't forsake gathering. But when you come together, it's really powerful because there we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And I'm going to skip Colossians 3, 12 through 15. And I'm just going to remind us about how important it is. You know, the the fellowship here, it's about encouraging one another, praying for one another, loving one another, confessing our sins to one another, admonishing one another, bearing one another's burdens. It's all about relationships. What do you think about God's instructions as it relates to fellowship? Whether it's attending church regularly, a large group experience, or whether it's being involved in a small group. You know, none of these things are perfect. Our small groups are not perfect. Our Sunday mornings are not perfect. And none of the people here are perfect. So there's all kinds of things wrong with us. And yet, God intends for us to be his church. And to um, have an impact in our world. And he will use us if we'll follow his instructions. Third uh, mark is that the early church was devoted to worship. That's in verse... Uh, 42, also, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. That was probably more than eating bread. It's probably a reference to communion. It's the first chance that the church got to celebrate communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper after the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And this was really significant to them. And so they probably had meals together, but they stopped to remember the death of Jesus and what that would mean for them and the new life that, that he would offer. And that was an act of worship when they, when they did this. Uh, verse 46 and 47 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And so they were still connected with the, with the Jewish religion. They, the, the, the Jewish religion was not their enemies. The Old Testament is not the enemy of Christianity. It fulfills the Old Testament. And, the, and they went back to the temple. That's a large area. A large group of people can fit in there. They had a large group ministry at the temple. And they broke their bread in their homes. And so they went from larger groups to like coming back in the evening into smaller groups into homes in Jerusalem. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they were sharing their lives together. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Praising God. That's worship. That's what they were doing. They would do it at night. Hey, come on over to my house. 
and they praised God. So, application for us, I must grow in devotion to worship. If I want the bridge to be a healthy church, I must grow as a worshiper. If you want to be a spiritually healthy follower of Christ, you too must grow as a worshiper. One of my favorite verses is John uh, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and so uh, she's not religious at all. And um, remember, Jesus is with a woman, and that was uncomfortable in the first century. And then Jesus was with a Samaritan, and that was taboo for a Jew, Jewish man in the first century. And so he's, he struck up a conversation with her, and he says, Yet a time is coming, it has now come, right now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Connected with the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit. You know when that happens? On the day of Pentecost. And that time has come. And people now can connect with God because they have the Holy Spirit. And they have a direct line to heaven. And they can worship freely. And so... True worship comes, it's another way to say it, it's impossible for a non-Christian to worship the true and living God because they don't have the Holy Spirit, okay? So true worship uh, comes in the Spirit and also in truth. It's according to the truth. It's the way God instructs us to worship. Not just, we don't just dream it up and do what feels good to us. We do what Scripture says. It's according to truth. And it says, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is seeking worshipers right now. God has been seeking worshipers from the beginning. People who want to honor him, bring glory to his name, to add to his reputation. God is seeking those kinds of people. You know, why why don't we just go ahead and let him have us, okay? So, and then we're going to jump to uh, Philippians 4, 17 through 19. Paul's going to talk about money. I don't know if you see it as worship. The Apostle Paul clearly saw it as worship. He says, now that I de- not that I desire your gifts. He's talking about financial gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Because he understands that God sort of keeps account about our giving, about how we handle our resources, about how we handle money. And he wants it to be credited to their account, this gift. Verse 18, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. The gifts are money, okay? It's not bread, It's not something else. It's money that he's talking about here. Next slide. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When we give to honor God with our financial resources, they can be, if our heart is right, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice well pleasing to God. It is worship. That's why I like to call it worship in giving. And then there's a promise, and my God will meet all your needs 
according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Didn't say he was going to make you rich. He didn't say he's going to give you everything you want. My God will meet all your needs. Okay. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So when we give praise to God with our lips, when we speak the words of praise to God, things that honor him, things that give credit to him, it is worship. When we say, thank you, God, we're giving him the credit, it is worship. Verse 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And this whole concept of sacrifice comes from the Old Testament when they made sacrificial offerings of animals and, and sometimes uh, other things that they offered to God. Well, these are New Testament sacrifices. These are New Testament acts of worship. And sometimes it's doing good as an act of worship, and sometimes it's giving resources that's an act of worship. So, um, are you growing in your generosity? Are you growing in your generosity? Um, are you growing in your worship? Because generosity is still to come. The fourth mark is the early church was devoted to prayer, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and to prayer. Application, I must grow in prayer. Let me just remind you in Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There's 120 of them in Acts chapter 1. Here's my point. The church, the 3,000 conversions on the day of Pentecost were the result of a 10-day prayer meeting. May we never forget that. The church was devoted to prayer. This was a healthy church. I'm going uh, to give you one passage here. Uh, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You can write down Colossians 4.2-4. We are commanded that we too should be devoted to prayer. Luke 18.1, Jesus said, uh, told him a parable that they should always pray and not give up. Because the church and the work of the church is God's endeavor. So, are you growing in this whole area of prayer? And we as a church, if we're going to grow, we need to grow in the area of prayer. The fifth mark and the last one is the early church devoted to generosity. I was getting ahead of myself. In verse uh, 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs and performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were all together. There was a great movement of God. And people wanted to be generous. There was no command here. And they decided on their own to sell property. At least some of them did. And to give to other people in need. This was an amazing thing. And they weren't commanded to do this. They wanted to do this. This was not communism. This was not socialism. Nobody was forced to give up their material possessions. And no, and no possessions were distributed equally. It was only distributed as there was a need and all I'm saying is generosity marked this church. And I, 
just want to say to us, we too need to grow in generosity to be a healthy church. And uh, I think a lot of you are very generous. And, and yet, all of, I would say for all of us, let's just keep growing in our generosity with what God has provided for us. And I'll read just one passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So that's just excel in it. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, hey, you excel in all these other things? Just excel in the grace of giving. And um, if you want to look at another passage, we won't look at it now, 2 Corinthians 9, 12, and 13. And it's all about giving and the impact it has. And one of the impacts it has is when you give, when you help somebody sometimes and they receive an answer to prayer, what do they do? They give praise to God. They thank God for what's been done, for, for God's provision. God gets the credit and he gets worshiped because of your generosity. And that happens over and over. And Sue and I experienced that early in our Christian lives as a couple when God provided for us and answered prayers specifically, and sometimes people gave us bags of groceries and we didn't tell anybody we were out of food, or uh, sometimes uh, people gave us a check that covered my tuition for school, when that's exactly what we needed. The only thing we could do, and those were anonymous, and sometimes all, all we could do is just thank God, and we learned to trust God. It, it grew our faith, and people were generous to us. And you know what? That's had a big impact on our desire to be generous with the resources we have. Okay, the result of all of this. And so, um, are you growing in generosity? That's my question. Um, The result of this devotion is Acts 2.47. They were praising God and they were enjoying favor with all people. This was impacting believers and non-believers in the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord added to the number daily those who... Who were being saved. God was at work opening people's hearts and giving people eyes to see the truth and to see what God was doing because of this healthy church. Yes, I'm sure there were people that were sharing the gospel, and at times probably the apostles got up and explained it, but it wasn't any great sermon like Peter's where 3,000 were saved. It was just watching, it was just everyday life, and people continued to be attracted to Jesus. So um, the, the church was focused on the apostles' teaching, God's word, fellowship, that's what we call community, worship, giving thanks and praise to God, prayer, expressing a dependence on God, and generosity, the condition of an overflowing heart. And d- God did a great work of evangelism. And here's the deal. When the bride of Christ is honoring God, the bride is beautiful. And attracts people to Christ. But when the bride of Christ is selfish and ugly and self-focused, we repel people from Jesus. And we have a choice. To follow Jesus. We have a choice that creates this. This was God's plan. The church is God's idea. And he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. 
So the church is us. We're either going to attract people or we, we are going to repel people. It comes down, to, it's not just about us and them in this room. It's about us. And we're all, us is about individuals. Each of us. Today we're going to celebrate communion. This is a great way to mark our anniversary. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to close our service with a time of communion. A time to remember what Jesus has done for us. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. We take the bread. And it's a symbol that reminds us of Jesus' body that was given for us. And we take the cup. And it's a reminder. It's a symbol to cause us to think about his blood that was shed. It was a great sacrifice. It paid for all of our sins. Everybody in this room, everything that you've ever done, it's also true, it's everything that you will do, it's paid for. We don't deserve it. It's called grace. We want to tell him we love him. We want to tell him thank you. And Scripture says that we should examine our hearts before we take this. So that's important. You check in with God, even right now, to make sure you're okay with God. If there's any sin in your life you need to confess, you confess that to Him privately from your own heart. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're grateful for the church. We're grateful for the example of the early church and their devotion to God's Word and to fellowship and to worship and to generosity, to prayer. And through all of that, God, you bless them with evangelism. We have much to learn. And then, Father, I want to thank you for um, the opportunity to share this time together. Because you've given us the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus died on the cross for us. We share this together. It is a true biblical fellowship. It is an act of worship. And we say thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for the bread that reminds us of his body that was broken in our behalf. We say thank you for the cup that reminds us of the blood that was shed on the cross. Thank you that you paid for our sins. We recognize we do not deserve it. Thank you that you have given us forgiveness of sins. That you have given us eternal life. That you have caused us to be citizens of heaven, to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, to be gifted to serve, to be a part of your family, to be called children of God. We thank you. Thank you this morning for the bread. We thank you for the cup. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. So those who are going to serve Please uh, come and join me, and we'll um, get these ready. And as soon as we're ready, we, we invite you to come forward. Just use this time quietly with God. And then when you're ready, uh, just come, grab the bread and the cup, and you can take them back to your seat.